Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I get to the airport. They go, yeah, you got a coach ticket from here to Atlanta and then on to L.A. because the Avalanche were playing the Kings the next afternoon. So I said, ah, it's wrong. It's first class. I said, right? And they're like, really? Yeah, it's first class. So they did a first class ticket. And I flew first class all the way there. And then two weeks later, the avalanche gave me the bill for it. They took it, <laughs> they took it out of my what? paycheck. Yeah, it was like a $1,200 bill. They took it out of my paycheck. From 94 WIP in Philadelphia, it's Wired This Way. Life stories about the people in sports, the choices they've made, and how they've achieved their success. I'm Andrew Porter. Hockey, horses, media, and a lot of laughs. That's what Jonesy is all about. Keith Jones grew up in Canada, where hockey was everything. He wasn't on a fast track to become an NHL superstar, but Jonesy grinded and learned the game, and eventually worked his way onto an NHL roster where he tallied double-digit goals in six of his 11 seasons. Jonesy, who embraced the tough guy role, had the opportunity to play with guys like Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, John LeClaire, and Eric Lindros. Jonesy, like any professional athlete, went through his ups and downs in the league, being traded twice and dealing with devastating knee injuries, which eventually ended his career around the year 2000. Most people believe Jonesy was born in Brantford, Canada, home of Wayne Gretzky, and in Jonesy fashion, he just goes with it. I was actually born in Galt. Uh, but everywhere I said Brantford from the time I started playing the NHL and when I was drafted because I lived there from the time I was four. Galt's about an hour drive away. It's now Cambridge, Ontario. Um, but factually, I was not born in Brantford, although after Gretzky became the superstar player that he was, uh, also being from Brantford, I kind of adopted it and never passed that information along to correct it. So I have proudly said that I'm from Brantford, where I did play all my minor hockey as a kid. So what was your childhood like, um, your relationship with your parents, siblings? Yeah, like it just, you know, normal kid growing up in Canada where hockey was everything. Um, played on an outdoor rink. My first team was a, what was called Park League, where you you played on a flooded tennis court that the parents uh, on a nightly basis would water and make sure the ice was in good shape for the next day, uh, skate home on the roads when they used to ice up uh, more than they do now, and uh, you know live to see the next day of uh, getting back on the rink and playing all day long again. Uh, so I give my parents credit. They allowed me to do that throughout. And then, um, you know, always took me to the rink, even though we lived about a block and a half from what's now the Wayne Gretzky complex. Uh, back in Brantford. It was convenient, but there was many days that I walked with the hockey bag over my shoulder and walked the block and a half up to the arena and practiced and then walked home afterwards too. So uh, there was um, you know flexibility to do what I wanted to do. When did you start playing and, and really fall in love with the game? I, I, right fell in love with, I fell in love with the game probably at the age of three. I began skating uh, at an age where I don't remember because almost like when I learned how to walk, which is obviously a major advantage 
uh, looking back on it, which was not abnormal. Um, and then I was a very, very good player as a young guy until about the age of 12 or 13 when most of the kids really started to grow. Uh, I was a real late bloomer. I didn't hit my first true growth spurt till I was turning 17. So took kind of an unorthodox path to get there, mostly based upon um, the size differences and where I was at uh, physically as far as maturity and, and probably more mentally as well because you get pushed back a little bit uh, when you're not you know, growing at the same rate of some of the guys that you're playing with, bigger guys that are like men. Um, so I, I learned to play the game differently at that point. And then when it was time the body started to catch up, uh, I was able to play a lot of different styles based upon the fact I had to play as a smaller player for a while and, you know, kind of take a back seat to some of the other kids that were moving past me quickly. Did you, you played through high school and yeah, I, and assume, it, I did all it's, yeah. it's junior hockey in Canada. There's different right. levels. There's gotcha. major junior a where the gotcha. Lindros would play. There's a draft that's held for that when you're t- about to turn 16 I was not drafted by that league. And then there's junior B hockey, and then there's junior C hockey, which is in really small towns, and there's junior D hockey. All of it, uh, you know, you're not paying to play. You're you're getting your equipment and you're getting your sticks, and you might get some gas money on the smaller uh, levels. Uh, but I played junior C for two years after, uh, you know, not being drafted to major junior A and not making the junior B team. I played junior C in Paris, Ontario, a really small town, rode the school bus with a bunch of other guys in the team. And, uh, you know, we wear a pair of cowboy boots and uh, sweatpants and go out and play hockey, but played because we love playing, not because we thought we were going to play in the NHL at that point. So it's all hockey for you growing up. Like yeah, most of my it. memories are. I mean, I had summer jobs, you know, I worked in the, at the go-kart, uh, track and passed tickets on to people running around out there and chased many guys that tried to escape after getting all boozed up and driving across the, the golfing range that was joined to it. Uh, I worked for the school board cutting grass around the city. I was always busy in that regard, but the number one priority was hockey, even when my aspirations of making it were really diminished based upon what was happening through those middle years. All right, so then you go to Western Michigan for college. How I that did. After happen? playing junior B for one year, I was uh, scouted by the Washington Capitals, which was almost a shock to me that a, a scout actually stopped to talk to me as an 18-year-old. I was not thinking about it at all because right. I'd already been draft eligible for the NHL draft one season, which I didn't even think of. And then out of the blue around Christmas time. I was having a really good season in Niagara Falls. So what was your plan just to kind of I was just playing as long as I could play. I was out of school already. I already had graduated from high school. Uh, I was just waiting. I took a full year off of school and just played junior B hockey, uh, living off uh, $70 a week from the team and a a little bit of extra cash from my mom and dad to get through each week. And I was just playing hockey with no real goal. I, I went to Maple Leaf Gardens as a fan and watched games and was looking at the ice surface as an 18-year-old kid without ever thinking that I would play in the NHL. I, I dreamt that when I was young, and then it kind of had been removed. So after having a very good season in Junior B, midway through that season, a scout from Washington came to see me, and I was shocked. And he had told me, look, we're interested in you. You need a lot of work. You're rough. Like you're 
you're out of shape, you've got a lot of stuff you need to do. We, we want you to go to college, but we got to find you a college to go to. So five different universities recruited me, and one of them was Western Michigan. This is late, though. Most kids are committing in right. early in October. This is now January, February, when I'm actually going on these visits to these schools. Um, none of the really big schools, more Western Michigan, Northeastern, uh, some of the Boston area schools, but not the big ones, not the BUs, and not the Michigan, not the Michigan State or Ohio State. Um, so I went to Western Michigan, and then um, I liked it there and was eventually offered a full scholarship to go there. And I accepted that and then went there um, for a visit after agreeing to go there. And I just remember I'd hurt my shoulder in the playoffs in Niagara Falls, and the coach had the trainer look at me there. I took my shirt off, and the coach almost fell down. He's looking at this guy with skinny arms and a fat gut, and he's wondering, what the heck did I just commit four seasons to? But uh, eventually got myself in uh, shape after each season there, which is the benefit of going to college. You have four years to develop. Kids today are much more advanced. I had never lifted a weight before I went to Western Michigan. And you think about what kids do today. They're all in the gym and they're all working and the parents are driving them. I didn't have that. I just I just played for the love of the game and eventually um, got stronger with the help of the strength coach there who also was the strength coach for the football team, a guy named Jeff Hurd that I'm still friends with today, uh, helped me kind of gradually catch up to everybody else that was well advanced of where I was. When you went to Western Michigan, was the NHL on your mind at this point? It was then because okay. I had been drafted. I had talked to a scout from the Capitals from the, the draft day. I never went to the draft. I had no real inclination that I was going to be drafted other than I had talked to a scout around Christmas time. So there was this outside chance that I would be. Um, never told anybody else either because I was thinking, what a stupid thing that'll embarrass myself, you know. And then, uh, and I was drafted and taught to the. You were drafted while you were at Western uh, Michigan. before I went to Western oh, Michigan. Okay. Yeah, and so it was a summer before I went. And then in those days, you, I got the phone call. I wasn't home. Right. They asked my mother when when I was born because I wasn't even on the draft draft list of three thousand kids that are on this list. They looked, they said, How, when's your son born? And she said, November the 8th, six, you know, whatever. And they're like, uh, well, let's listen to this. And they announced that they were drafting me over the phone. She could hear the announcement in the draft at the seventh round. So it's a, you know, an afterthought pick, 141st overall. And, uh, and that's kind of what changed my thinking. So I did have this goal in my mind, and I recognized that it was going to take me some time because I was just not physically... Uh, ready to to make that jump. I would have been done and out of hockey if I didn't have college to go to for four years to develop and get stronger and you know learn how to play in a lot of different situations. And then by the time I was done four years, I felt like I was ready to you know make the next step. But you never know. You never know till you get there, and you never know till you play one game. Do you think um, being born in Canada helped like this process? Uh, like, I that... may have heard it in some ways, okay. just because. There were so many kids that were better than I was. Right. And when I got through those critical ages, a lot of kids would have quit. Uh, for some reason, I just kept on going. After four years at Western Michigan, Jonesy lands with his first NHL team, the Washington Capitals. At the end of my senior year, before school was done uh, or over, I left right after the playoffs and headed to and signed a contract with the Washington Capitals. It was a two-way contract, meaning I was paid a certain amount to play in the NHL and a much lesser amount to play in the minors. Um, very common in hockey. So 
I started right after my college season playing the last six games of the regular season for the Baltimore Skipjacks, which were the farm team of the Washington Capitals, American Hockey League. And they were not going to make the playoffs that year. So after the six-game period, I was going to be called up as an extra player for the Capitals. But the players went on strike. The NHL players went on strike right before the 92 playoffs were to begin. It only lasted like five days at the most. It was something over rights for licensing. And they won that small battle. And we know they've had many battles you know, through the years. Uh, but anyway, so I had gone back to college for a few days and then was quickly recalled to come up and be an extra player. Uh, Barry Trotz was my coach who just won the cup with the Washington Capitals. He was my American Hockey League coach with Baltimore. So he was in charge of skating us every day as the Capitals were going through the first round of the playoffs, making sure that the six or seven of us that were extras were ready if, in fact, five guys were injured and you're you're going to jump in and play with the the reality was we were not going to get in the lineup, but it was a good experience nonetheless. And the Capitals, of course, dating back to those days, blew a 3-1 series lead against the Penguins and lost in round number one against Mario Lemieux and Tockett and all those guys. So that that ended that season. So I went back to college for a little while, but I wasn't in the school. I did not finish and graduate, which and obviously was not smart on my part. I was taking a very big chance that I was going to you know, have to make it in hockey. Uh, but that was my focus from that point on and really from the time that I was drafted by the Washington Capitals. So uh, continued to you know, get ready for the opportunity to make it to the NHL and went into training camp that year and had a, uh, a decent training camp and then was sent down right after it. Thought it was like I knew I was on the bubble of making the team and I wanted so badly to play my first NHL game. Uh, in Toronto because on the schedule it was actually the Maple Leafs game was the only time the Capitals came to Toronto and I grew up 45 minutes uh, from Maple Leaf Garden so I was so focused on just trying to get because you don't know you think you can play but you really don't know and I thought if I only play one game I'm this close I want to fight to try to make this team to play that first game of the season against the Maple Leafs and I ne- if I never play another game uh, in my mind I'm saying that would be okay with me. So I argued with David Poyle, the GM, when he sent me down and had this great compelling speech. Unbeknownst to him, most of it was just because I knew I was so close and I wanted to play that one game, but it it became uh, something that David remembered through the years too and uh, was one of the more memorable meetings he had with a player who was trying to convince him that he made a mistake and that the player was ready to play. Anyway, I went down and played, I think, eight games in the minors in Baltimore and kept begging Barry Trotz all the time, when am I getting called up, fighting and arguing with him, and eventually got the call to go up to the NHL. So did did you ever envision, like, you'd have this long, I mean, you did the Capitals, the Avalanche, the Flyers, you had this long, successful NHL career. Was this on your mind, or you're just kind of going through and trucking away, and then boom, it it just kind of Yeah, it's, I I have to be honest, like, as a young guy up until the age of 10 or 12. I dreamt of it all the time and thought it was a legitimate um, chance that I would make it. I went through about a seven or eight year period where I had no inclination that I was going to find my way to the NHL. I'd like to tell you I put all this extra work into it and was at the gym every day, and uh, but that was not the case. I, I played hard when the games were on. Um, I did not 
do much away from the rink to make that dream happen. So I was very fortunate the way things kind of unfolded and the fact that I had four years at college to kind of develop and I had a scout that recognized that there was potential there uh, coming out of Washington, um, that was probably the main reason that I was able to make it. The fact that there was four years to develop and I wasn't a program that wasn't one of the elite ones, so I was able to get started right away and have a key role, played lots of minutes, but also became a stronger player uh, because I was stronger off the ice. So there's key things that happen along the way, but there was no, uh, man, I'm going to make it, I'm going to do this until I started to get going. And I, I fortunately played that way when the games were on. But I was asking a lot of a body that wasn't really made to get out there and crash and bang on a you know shift to shift basis. So from Canada to Western Michigan, and now you're a, a pro mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. What's that lifestyle like? Like was it, it, it was it a lot different? It was it was pretty cool because the fact that Baltimore was so close, we shared the same practice rink as the Capitals. So when I started with Baltimore, the literally the Capitals were across the hallway. Okay. And they'd be getting ready for their game coming up that night or the next day or traveling, and you're staring right at it, right? So I'm like, man, I just want to get there so bad. I just It's right there. I just want to walk across the hallway. And you get to know the guys a little bit. Uh, they're not that accommodating because they don't want you to take their job, but at the same time, they're they're pretty good. They're hockey players, right? So that, that was always enticing. And so when I lived there, I, I lived with two guys that were also in the minors. We had an apartment. And I just always remember thinking, man, this is so cool. You know, you're getting paid. Uh, In the minors, you're not getting paid a a whole lot compared to what you're going to make in the NHL. But it is pretty cool. I mean, I'm not in school. I'm just playing hockey, going to practice, getting ready, going home, getting ready for the next game. Uh, There's a lot of uh, mental stress that goes with it that you have to really be a special person to handle. I don't think it's for everybody because there's a lot of uh, defeats along the way. But all of that usually helps you get through the times when you're not scoring, uh, when the pressure's on and you can really feel the heat that I I better score here or I'm not going to stay up. Uh, there's moments like that that you go through. And then I had a, a clause in my contract that really was a, a kind of a turning point in my hockey life where if I played 50 games in one of the first three seasons and the contract that I had signed, my contract then went to a one-way contract, meaning the minor league salary was then the same as the NHL salary. They could still send you down, but you're going to be paid substantially uh, more. So after 49 straight games that season with Washington, uh, they scratched me. And Terry Murray was the coach, the former Flyer coach. And I remember arguing with him because I'd been staring at that day. And I go, I know what you'll be won. I think we had won six or seven games in a row at the time, which they never changed the lineup. Right. And I was playing fourth line, but scoring some goals along the way and being a productive player and fighting and doing all this stuff to try to stay in the lineup. So I argued with Terry Murray back and forth. And he's like, I don't no idea what your contract is. And I, I knew that David Poyle was messing with me, but... Anyway, after that game and after the argument, I didn't play the 50, which would have been my 50th game of the season. I did get in the lineup the next game. And I never wore a helmet in the warm-ups, but for that game, I wore my helmet to make sure that I got out there. <laughs> I knew I all, all I had to do was play one shift, right? right? So after the first shift of the game, I, I get out there and 
uh, do nothing. But after the shift is over, I come by and high-five the whole bench. And I'm <laughs> telling them, I'm in, I'm in. They're not getting rid of me. And they didn't for the next, you know, nine nine seasons. But uh, that, that gave me like a, a sense of confidence that I was going to stay. And that kind of helps you get through some of those times when the goals just aren't coming. On November 3rd, 1996, Jonesy was traded from the Capitals to the Avalanche. And at 28 years old, Keith Jones was forced to move across the country. And he remembers the details of this life-changing moment vividly. That was uh, interesting. Uh, I was traded uh, in the locker room in a pregame right after the warm-ups in Long Island. And I had one skate on and one skate off. I just got off and getting ready for the game, and I was getting one of my skates sharpened. And Jim Schoenfeld, the head coach, came in the room and said, uh, Jonesy, come here. And I was like, whoa. So I walked with one skate on and one off, and that's awkward. because You still remember this. Oh, I remember the whole thing. And went into a small locker room, coach's room in Long Island, which is a dump, and sat down, and Jim Schoenfeld said, I've got terrible news for you. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I – my health is not good, you know? And he's like, uh, you've been traded. And I said, oh, that's a relief. Because at first when he said I had terrible news from him, thinking somebody died or I'm right. something's gone wrong and some of the tests they do on us, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So right. um, he said, you've been traded to Colorado. And I said, oh, they had just won the Stanley Cup. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound too terrible to me, right? And we had this brief conversation. And it's the Joe uh, Sackick team. That, yeah, yeah, I was going to Sackick and Waugh right, and right, right. Forsberg and Kaminsky and Lemieux and uh, Gusarov and Ozalinch. I mean, it was a star-studded team. And uh, so I walked back in the locker room. I said, hey, boys, I'll see you in the finals and said my goodbyes to the guys on the team, which are all good friends of mine still to this day, but were great friends at that time because they were right. a big part of the locker room. And the uh, I said to... Shoney, I said, well, what do I do now? Because the crowd is in the arena. I mean, we've already been on the warm-ups. He said, here's a, a quarter. Go call. I know I had no cell phone. Go up, take your sticks and your equipment, and call the avalanche. Here's the number. So I literally, in the lobby of the arena, in the mezzanine, I'm calling the avalanche to see what I do. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I had a toothbrush in my suit jacket because it was a one-night trip, and that's all I brought with me. And what year? What year is it? And how that is ninety six. Okay. Yeah. So are you single at this point? No, I've I was oh, okay. not married, but uh, in with my wife now, um, and so then we were that, engaged shortly after that. So I I couldn't even get a hold of her. Right. So and you're moving across the yeah, country. I didn't. So I I get to the uh, avalanche on the phone. They go take a cab to JFK, and I'm going. Where's JFK? Like I'm just I, I would be in these cities, but never paid attention to really right. where I was going. So I got in the cab and took a ride over there and and then um, talking to the cabbie about being traded. The guy's like, just shut up. I could tell the guy was just a typical New Yorker saying, get this guy out of here. And I had to borrow money off the trainer to pay for the cab to get there. I get to the airport. They go, yeah, you got a coach ticket from here to Atlanta and then on to L.A. because the Avalanche were playing the Kings the next afternoon. So I said, ah, it's wrong. It's first class. I said, right? And they're like, really? Yeah, it's first class. So they did a first class ticket. And I flew first class all the way there. And then two weeks later, the avalanche gave me the bill for it. They took it <laughs> They took it out of my what? paycheck. Yeah, it was like a $1,200 bill. They took it out of my paycheck. 
Uh, so I sat and enjoyed my flight there and was just wondering, this is uh, really strange. They couldn't tell me who I was traded for at the time because Chris Simon was out bear hunting. He was on a contract holdout with the Avalanche, one of the toughest guys in the league that I was replacing. And one of their alternate captains, Curtis LeCision, came in the deal as well. So I uh, I walked into that uh, lunchroom. The guys were getting ready the next morning. And I said, don't worry, fellas, I'm here. And they all started to laugh. And I sat down and then played that afternoon against uh, – Against the um, the Anaheim Ducks, I think was the first game, and then um, the next the Mighty I, Ducks at that yeah point, they yeah. would have been yeah they, it was the Mighty Ducks too because I took a bad penalty late in the game and they tied us one one that's when there was ties back then right. and then the next three games scored the game winning goal in each of the three games and I was like ah this look this is gonna work were you, you know? on the first line at this point? I was on the uh, I was on the first line at that time because Claude Lemieux was hurt okay so I played there with Forsberg a lot and then started to really play with Sackick in the latter part of the season with Adam Deadmarsh too and we had a great line a very good team won the president's trophy and then I blew my knee out in the first round of the playoffs against the Hawks and it was another pivotal moment in my career because my knee never came back to the way it it was previously and in fact was not good from really that point on after numerous surgeries uh but How i survived i would have been 27 okay and i was coming was into my ACL prime I, it was an acl with other damage around it Ooh. too and i did i knew nothing about it at the right. time so that was a that was a big uh, game changer for me i was in the prime of my career i did score 25 goals during the regular season which was a high for me it was a you know, important player on their team in a lot of different ways because I could instigate as well. And did you like um, the city? And I the, loved it. It yeah. was a really great spot. So, but it wasn't, uh, I, I was out for 10 months before I eventually made it back and it just never was quite right, although we got a better and eventually was traded to the Flyers. But um, I think there was, again, I knew I was on borrowed time with my knee and we just did everything we could when I got here to get through it and right. had the fortune that, uh, opportunity to play with Lindros and Leclerc, and that really hid some of the deficiencies I had with my knee because I was smart enough to know where to go. I had the other part of my game, which attracted a lot of tension because I would bother the opposition, and I could still produce offensively. And in fact, had you know my my most points, obviously benefiting from playing with Lindros and Leclerc uh, in the regular season. I got fifty three points and had a and a good playoff against Toronto, although we lost in the first round, but was effective. And eventually signed a three-year deal with the Flyers, and that's kind of the way my career rode out after that. And not playing um, as much of that contract as I would have liked because my knee was diminishing quickly. The second time you were traded, was it? Did you kind of feel it? I know, yeah, I, I well, I read it in the newspaper oh, okay. before okay. I went into the locker room. So I'm sitting in the practice park practice rink parking lot, and I read in a little blurb in the Denver Post that uh, Keith Jones has been traded to the Flyers. That's like Twitter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I walk in the room. I go, guys, have I been traded? I, I, was, I was talking to Joe Sackick, and he was the captain at the time. I go, I, I, I think I've been traded. It's, no, you haven't. You're not. I know. I think I have. I go to the trainers. I've been traded. Patrick, well, it's going on for two hours. Finally, I said, I started getting ready for practice again. And so I looked at, and Patrick always sat beside me and he goes, why do you want to be traded? I said, I don't want to be traded. I read it in the paper that I've been traded. And a few seconds later, their uh, PR guy came down, Johnny Martineau, and he's like, uh, Pierre Lacroix wants to see you upstairs. I said, I told you I was traded. So I went up and then talked to Bobby Clark and, and eventually, um, you know, hopped on a flight to get here and started my career with the Flyers. In 1998, Jonesy was traded again. 
this time to Philadelphia, a move he describes as awesome and fortunate. Jonesy spent his final three seasons on the Flyers, primarily playing on the first line with Lindros and LeClaire, scoring a career-high 49 points in his first 66 games in Philadelphia. I was uh, really fortunate. I remember having a conversation with Roger Nielsen, who was the coach then. In practice, the first I was here, he said, hey, uh, Jonesy, uh, you know, I think we're going to try you with Lindros and LeClaire. I think, you know, you can fit in there. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope this leg holds up. This is a great opportunity, you know. And uh, the massage guys on the team, the trainers did a great job uh, helping me get ready for every game. And Roger was the perfect coach because practice was uh, not a necessity with him. And that really helped alleviate some of the extra grind on my knee. So I was able to, you know, have a very productive year and scored – in my first game with those guys on the line, we beat the Devils 6-1, to one, which never happened. And we beat them at home. And I think I had a goal and assist in that game and may have may have had the game winner, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But it was a really productive game. And then I ended up getting 12 points, I believe, in the first five games. So that was a nice introduction to Landon and Philly and then carried that forward with a really good regular season, kind of blended in. And the fans here in Philadelphia appreciated um, the way that I got under the skin of the opposition as well as being able to play with the top guys. So it was a perfect fit. I My one wish, and I, I look back on things, is that I would have been 100% healthy to right. play here because it would have been at that time, Maybe at that age in my here. career. Yeah, yeah, I probably would have still been in Colorado. Right. But uh, that, was a, that was a great experience. And luckily, it trans transitioned it into a career after hockey. Um Everyone says they have the best fan base, and everyone talks about playing in Philadelphia. I don't know if like, like Washington D.C. is a great sports town, Colorado is a great hockey town, and then you played in Philadelphia, so you kind of mm-hmm. have a, a nice little perspective. Is that real, the Philadelphia thing? It's real, it, and yeah. especially if you play a certain style. I mean, like I, I think that for players that at least give the perception that they're giving everything they have, you are in most cases beloved here, um, and that's all these fans ask. And there's, um, you know, there's some players that are highly skilled, but just don't, you know, have the intensity to match that. And when things aren't going well for them, there's no way for them to to hide. And I think that's one of the neat things about playing in Philadelphia. The accountability's there all the time, and it's not just about goal scoring and numbers. It's about doing the other things that separate you from other players, but also make you an interesting player to watch play. And that's one thing that. Um, uh, some players just never fully get a grasp of uh, at playing in this city. There's a lot you can do to help yourself uh, be beloved by the fans. And the most important thing is that you put forward a supreme effort and are an honest uh, person as far as the way that you play and also the way that you answer questions when you're not playing well. A lot of players, a lot of memories, a lot of moments. Does anything stand out, like specifically when you well, look back? Well, the most disappointing thing was losing that three-one series lead against the Devils yeah. in two thousand. And now, in the history of the NHL, that is the only time a team in the conference finals has blown a three games to one lead. Wow! Yeah, and it's had three three game to one leads have been blown in hockey numerous times, but right. four. I think it's forty-three or forty-four times, but only once in the conference finals and that's uh, that's the one that slipped away it's a bad memory it was uh it was a fun team to be a, a part team, of yeah. we had a, a good group of guys and we really rallied around the fact that our star player Lindros was not available for much of the series and when he did come back he was out quickly and we you know we we 
ended up losing that game 2-1 to one and not advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals. Devils, of course, win the Cup, and we're sitting there wondering. That was my last playoff, so that uh, that stands out. But there's a lot of very good memories about that team. I think there were some similarities to the 93 Phillies as well, uh, but we didn't get to the, the final, uh, which, of course, they did before losing to the, to the Jays. And then you transitioned to... TV guy, radio mm. guy, media stuff. And lucky. That, that, I, really? I can just say lucky. Feel for it? Or? No, I, I was brutal. Like, <laughs> when I, it's like, and I see other guys come in and they're, some are bad, right. like I was, but there's a lot that are really good. I'm like, holy cow, how can this guy be so good, like so quickly? Uh, it took me, I started on ESPN and morning radio here once a week, which was a savior for me with Angelo. Cataldi, like that, that was a game changer for me. Did you think about me. this stuff when you were uh, I just, no? Al was kind enough to invite me to come in. Okay. And this was a perfect fit for me, the radio, because, you know, little jabs, little right. locker room stuff all the time, right? And that was something that I specialized in. So that part was an easier transition. But learning, you know, timing and when to talk, when someone's mic, you know, someone's using their mic, you need to shut up or it's just noise. Nobody hears you. So I was, it, all those things were important. And really built a foundation, and then the more reps I got on TV, uh, the better that it became, and the more comfortable I became. But I was really bad. I was I was lucky that Comcast Sportsnet had just started out here in Philadelphia, and after kind of bombing out on ESPN on NHL Tonight for like fifteen shows, I probably did two that were decent. The rest I was just totally uncomfortable and sweating out of my suits, and just was not comfortable where I was at in my life because I had just retired. Um, but more importantly, I was not very good at it. So I, I started with Comcast Sportsnet casually doing post-game shows and got better at it and then got the opportunity to go on versus when the NHL lost the TV contract with ESPN, Comcast, which owned Outdoor Life Network at the time, became versus. And fortunately, after an audition, I was able to you know start working on a national level. And the following season, I started doing the Flyers games doing the color there with Coatsy and JJ at that time. When you look back on everything, was there, is there a turning point? Was it the Western Michigan thing? Was it the knee? Was it, uh, like For a- me, the, the, the turning point would be going to play junior B hockey in Niagara Falls and okay. being scouted by a guy named Sam McMaster that uh, left the team right after they drafted me. Um, and then t- having a phone conversation that night where he informed me in his opinion, I was going to make it to the NHL, and I never forgot that conversation. Because you never thought that I wasn't thinking that right. way, you know. And I was—it was such a surprising moment in my life to be drafted without even expecting it. Kids waited that draft all day to get hear their name called. I wasn't there. I was at Flamborough Downs betting the horses. Right. So that's that's kind of where things started to turn. I just started to, you know. But I enjoyed playing junior C hockey as well the year before. That was fun. And some of the fun gets removed from the game when you you keep running into roadblocks and you're not developing and there's players that are getting better than you and you can sense it. Uh, for the late developing kids, There's a there's that's a great example for just staying with it. No matter what the level is that you're dropping down to, which can be really hard when you've been at the top, uh, just to kind of stay with it and then find your happy place there. When I started to play the game for the love of the game again, then things started to turn in my favor. So without a lot of luck, none of it happens. Uh, but I I've just feel more fortunate now that I've continued to work in hockey after retiring at a young age. I was only 31 when I retired, so I feel pretty blessed about that. You're married now. You have a daughter. 
Um, yep. Talk about your life. And in horse racing, and you mentioned horse racing. When did that, how did that love come Yeah, that, that was uh, kind of started as a, a kid that loved to go to Flamborough Downs, take my go-kart racing track paycheck and bet it on trying to hit a trifecta. Right. I thought that was the best thing going. So that that's where it started. Uh, then my wife and daughter were both equestrians, so we had some crossover there, bringing some thoroughbreds from the track, moving them along, and my daughter getting good enough where she could sell some of them um, and watching their shows throughout the years as well. So it's a good bonding experience. But, um, yeah, the whole combination has been very good. You know, I've been lucky that way too. So you try to tie it all together in the end. That's what you're hoping for, and so far so good. The Your physicalness in hockey, is that – innate or is that something you learned to, to no that was to, innate okay yeah i was always loved, a pesky yeah. like <laughs> irritating from kid your dad or from- no it's he's not like that it's funny neither's my mom so my mom used to cringe at me all the time like the stuff that could, i think she could read my lips sometimes she wasn't overly impressed with the words that were coming out of my mouth so but that was uh that was just me trying to equalize the the uh playing field and recognizing that I was not the most talented, but I needed to do whatever I could to try to, you know, get under the skin of the opposition to kind of level it, level it off. And it used to, it worked as a advantage to me, but also made me play better. And when I was fearful that someone was coming to get me, I could bring my level up even more. So a lot of it was self-inflicted on purpose to try to make myself like get going you know find a way to dig deeper and come up with something that can help the team win the game and lastly uh any regrets or decisions you think about i don't i i don't i'm lucky that way touch wood man not not yet but um yeah there's uh there's a lot of life to live yet but i i've, I've been happy so far the way things have gone and you know i feel very fortunate i don't want to waste that either i want to make sure i continue to do a good job and put the work in. I work harder now than I ever did, even you know through my early playing days of trying to get to the NHL. Maybe that would be a regret that I didn't do more, um, you know, to make sure that everything was done properly, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. I left a lot of things for good fortune, and luckily fortune was on my side. Former Flyer Keith Jones. Thanks again for listening to Wired This Way. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, please email me at andrew.porter at entercom.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.